Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Well, hello there, Freedom House. You guys doing great today? It is so good to be here. We went Charles Great. Give it up for him one more time. That was amazing. Man, really good. Cool, we get to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I want to I make sure right now, before we get into anything today, because I want to give you some time, um, take out your phones. If you do not have the Freedom House app, take out your phone right now and go ahead and download it. Because here's the thing, you can take notes while the sermon is going on, while the message is being delivered, you can take message notes right on your phone. And listen, people who take notes go to heaven. <laughs> and when you get to heaven, if there's a long line, listen, if you can show them Freedom House notes on your phone, St. Peter will knock you right up to the front of the line. It's like a Disney Fast Pass on steroids. You'll love it. So make sure you get this 77977. Text that right now, Freedom House Space app. Make sure you get that because what I love about it is you'll be able to keep the message with each series. It'll keep them all organized for you. You can go back through and, and get to see all the great things that we're talking about in all of our series. Uh, my name's Olin Carter. I get to serve here on our teaching team, which is just a great honor and privilege for me. And if you're new here, maybe you've never been to Freedom House before. It might be your first time here. Something very unique about our church is that we are one house with many rooms. So we have several campuses around the city. But part of the vision of our pastors is to have a live communicator each and every weekend, each and every service at each campus, bringing you the Word of God. And I just think that's amazing. So let's give some honor to our senior pastors real quick. I always like to give some honor to them for their vision. They, they empower others around them. And how many of you know we are better together? Amen? We truly are better together. And before we jump in, I do want to say hello to our online uh, crowd today, our online campus um, we have people joining us in Illinois, Massachusetts, Georgia, Ohio, Washington, D.C., and in Germany, all the way from Germany. So y'all give it up for them. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are glad you're with us. And we are, I'm excited today to get into this message and this series that we're in, Crash Test Dummies. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. We know what a crash test dummy is, but we're talking about relationships. And life is all about relationships. Like Pastor Troy said, I think, a week or two ago, life is relationships. Everything else is just details. Life is all about relationships, and God has built us for relationships. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to teach you how to fight. Anybody, anybody ever been in a fight before? I'm going to teach you how to fight today, but I'm going to teach you how to fight like Jesus. We need to learn how to have conflict, how to have healthy conflict, and I believe that we need to learn how to fight like Jesus. You know, when you think about crash test dummies, we all know we, we, the purpose of that, you strap a dummy in the car because you would never launch a real human being 100 miles an hour at a brick wall, right? We get that. But I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, actually, I got a few people I wouldn't mind strapping in a car and launching at a wall at 100 miles an hour, right? So hopefully we're going to deal with that some today, and maybe when you leave, that won't be quite so bad. But you know, we do that because we know if we launch a human being, a real person, at a, at a wall, 100 miles an hour, there's going to be some damage. But sometimes in relationship, there's risk involved in relationship too. 
Sometimes we're not able to predict the true risk of a relationship. I kind of know, you saw in the pictures in the video, I launch a car at that wall. I know, boom, it's going to hit. I know what it's going to look like. I know what's going to happen. But in a relationship, do I know what's going to come? Sometimes I think we walk in fear because I don't know where this relationship's going to lead. I, I don't know what the risks maybe are. And my heart is, is, is vulnerable here. And so sometimes that's a big concern for us. I remember years ago I was going on a fishing trip and uh, the, the, the next day, that night before the trip, I realized I was missing some gear. So I needed to go to the store. I was going to go right up here to the Walmart up here at Concord Mills. And coming from my house, I'm going on 485, and it was one of those Agatha Christie dark and stormy nights. It was raining like sideways. I mean, it's coming down hard. You've, you've had those times before. I mean, you can't see 15, 20 feet in front of you. I mean, just storming, raining. And up ahead of me, I see this little blue car. And have you ever seen something like an accident about to happen and it's like you can't look away? It's like everything starts to go in slow motion. You're like, no. I see his car start to like, whoa, like this. And he's going way too fast. And all of a sudden, he's gone. He goes flying off the side of the road. He's spinning out. He hits the guardrail in the middle. His car's hitting it. He's going down by it. I mean, mud flying everywhere. Parts of his car flying off. And I think, man, let me just hit the gas. Maybe I can get by it. Maybe I can fly by before, you know, if something happens or he comes flying back up on the road or causes another accident. And as I hit the gas and I try to go by, I see him come back up to the road and all of a sudden he hits 485 again and just spins, spins, and he's right in front of me. And it was one of those times, it was like slow motion. I see it coming, but I knew in that moment I couldn't, if I jerked the wheel and I went to the left, there was a really good chance I would hide your plane and go flying off the road and I could end up in incoming traffic, which would be worse. And so as a young person, I remember being taught somewhere along the way that the, the accidents, you get injured the worst when you tense up. Like you shouldn't lock your arm, like don't tense up. And so I don't remember if I said this out loud or if I just thought the thought, but I remember this so clearly when I see his car coming in front of me, I remember just saying, here we go. <laughs> and... And I remember just like letting go, like, here we go. And as I was closing my eyes, I remember seeing the airbag deploy as I'm closing my eyes, and I hit the airbag and hit the steering wheel. His car goes flying this way. I think the state trooper told me his car went like 85 yards or something the other way. There was nothing left at the back of his car. I go over to this side, smoke filling the car, the horns going on me. My car was totaled. Um, fortunately, I wasn't hurt that badly. I was able to call my wife. Hey, I was in a wreck, but I think I'm okay. And, you know, I'm kind of coming to. And, and I wasn't hurt too badly. But here's the interesting thing. For years after that accident, anytime I would drive in the rain, I would get anxious. For years. And I mean, I, I, it's not so bad now, but up to even maybe a couple years ago, and this was probably 10 plus years ago, it was a long time ago. I would get, like, I mean, I would white-knuckle the steering wheel. I remember one time it was raining really hard. My, my wife and I were at the movies. And coming home, I mean, she was like, what's wrong with you? And I, I, was, I was driving, like, 20 miles an hour because it was raining so hard. And I'm just, like, I'm up on the steering wheel. And I'm so anxious because it was like I was back in that moment. I could remember the thud. The, it was like a horse had just kicked me in the chest when, when our cars, that, that collision was so intense. And that anxiety stuck with me for years. And I think sometimes that's us in relationship. Sometimes in relationship we go through a collision. We have a relationship crash. Maybe you've been through divorce. 
Maybe your parents abused you. Maybe someone took advantage of you, embarrassed you, humiliated you, betrayed you, whatever it may be. And every time you get in a new relationship or every time something's just not right, the thought of conflict or confrontation freaks us out. We start to white-knuckle the steering wheel. And here's what I think we do. I think many times, I know I've done this, we strap the crash test dummy in the car. We put the dummy back in the car because I'm not going to risk being my real self. I'm not going to let you hurt the real me. You're not going to hold handle my heart. No, I'm going to put the dummy in the car and send it on its way because I know there's some conflict on the horizon and I'm going to protect myself. The problem is when we do that, we lose any opportunity for true and deep connection. Our relationships are stunted. They can't grow. You can never get past a certain point because you're not being real. You're not being yourself. So we've got to learn to take the crash test dummy out. We've got to learn to get in the car ourselves. We've got to brace for impact. But here's the, the cool thing. Conflict doesn't always equal crash. See, the problem is we think conflict equals crash. We think any kind of confrontation, any kind of issue with someone else, we think because we've been through bad conflict before, maybe we've had a real relationship crash, or maybe just we don't know how to do it right. Maybe we're scared because we don't know how to confront. We don't know how to have healthy conflict. We think that conflict equals crash. See, we look at conflict like war. We, we look at conflict like the, the, the goal of conflict is for me to win. My, the goal of conflict is for me to beat you. The, the, the role of conflict is for me to get what I want. And the role of conflict in a healthy environment is not to win, it's to heal the relationship. The role of conflict is not to dominate others, it's a tool God gives us to grow healthy relationships. But see, if we look at it like war, war always has casualties. And so I don't want to go into a conflict because I'm terrified of the results. What we do is we turn to extremes. We live in a world of extremes. And, and tell me if this bears true for you. Most people, when it comes to conflict, we go either one of two ways. Silence or violence. Isn't that right? And we know violence is wrong. We don't just walk down the street slapping people upside the head. I had a person after the last service come up to me. She said, thank you. I know what I need to do now. God told me what I need to do because there's this person and I've been wanting to smack them upside the head so bad. And she said, now I'm going to go confront them with kindness. I know what to do now. But you know what? We know that violence is wrong. We know we can't go around screaming at people, insulting. We get that that's wrong. But here's what we don't get. Silence is just as bad. See, silence, if you have silence for long enough, silence will always lead to violence. You keep it bottled up, you refuse to have healthy confrontation with someone in your life, eventually that silence is going to fester, it's going to grow until it erupts. And then you're going to blow up the relationship. So we've got to learn how to deal with these offenses. We've got to learn how to deal with these unmet expectations. We've got to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. So let's look at what the Word of God has to say. We're going to start off today in Matthew 18, and this is verse 15. And it says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have gained your brother. Listen, Jesus tells us, go and tell him his fault. Don't candy coat it. 
So oftentimes when we do confrontation, this is what we do. We say, man, that person offended me. So you go to them and you say, hey, the other day, um, first of all, I love what you're wearing. Um, your outfit is fantastic. Love the shoes. Um, and you said something the other day, and it was probably my fault. I probably, and I know you didn't mean it this way, but it kind of came off a little wrong to me. And when you said, and let me just say, I have always thought a lot of you. I mean, I, I hold you in high esteem. I mean, we go on and on trying to cushion the blow when we should just come out and say, you know what, you said something that I didn't agree with and that hurt me. Can we talk about it? How simple would that be? But we don't do it. We're terrified to go and have healthy confrontation because we don't know what to say or we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't trust God with our relationship. Instead, we try to manipulate the result because I think I'm smart enough. If I push all the right buttons, I can get you to do what I want you to do or eventually I'll figure it out. And so we don't let God in and we don't obey what God has told us to do. And so what we do is we turn to silence. That silence festers, that silence grows until eventually it erupts and that's not good for the relationship. And so he tells us here very simply, go tell him his fault. Don't beat around the bush. Don't, don't candy coat it. Don't make it something it's not. Listen, people know it's very disingenuous when you do that. People know. Have you ever had somebody do that? They come up and they start telling you, you know, I just really think. And you're thinking in your mind, oh, Lord, here it comes. They're about to drop the bomb on me, right? We know when it's coming. Listen, people are smarter than we give them credit for. They know when we're full of it. They know when we're really about to say something they're not going to want to hear. And sometimes the best thing to do is just rip the Band-Aid off. Come up and say, hey, you said something I didn't like it. Can we talk about it? You said something, it hurt me. Can we talk about it? How easy is that, right? But here, let me give you a little extra help on this. I looked this up. This is Matthew 18, 15. Number one, did you know that that is in the Bible? Matthew's actually in the Bible. And that right there, the Matthew 18, 15, it's in the red letters. So that means that Jesus is telling me to do this. Jesus. And so if I don't want to do it, sometimes we think, well, I know I should, but I just, I, it's awkward and I don't, I don't want to do it. You got to. If I don't do it, if you offend me and I don't come and tell you, then I'm sinning because I'm not obeying Jesus. Then even though you were wrong, I'm wrong because I refuse to confront you in a healthy way. Because Jesus told me I have to. Luke 17 verse 3, it says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. I looked up that word rebuke him and it means to overcome with a powerful word. Sometimes because we're Christians and we go to church, we get this concept that as a Christian, we're supposed to be this little mealy mouth church mouse and just go around, and when someone says something we don't like, it's, we can't never be angry, we can't never have emotion, we can't never get upset, like that's wrong. And so when you say something that hurts me, I'm just, you know, oh, thank you, I'm just going to praise the Lord, I'm just going to pray about it, oh, praise, bless Jesus, hallelujah. And we don't ever say anything to anybody, because I'm a Christian, I can't have any emotion, I can't, I can't be upset. Listen, Jesus went in the temple and started flipping tables over. It's okay to be upset. It's okay. Now, it's not okay to insult. It's not okay to attack. It's not okay to hurt, but it's okay to be upset. If you're upset and you act like you're not, what are you doing? You're lying. It's not okay. 
And so when we have emotion, it's okay. Jesus says, hey, rebuke him. Say a strong word. Say, hey, that ticked me off. That really hurt me. That made me feel such a way. Hey, can we talk about this? Let them know it matters. Because the next scripture I'm going to read you, this is really the trick Satan tries to get us with. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. I'm reading you so many scriptures because I want you to know today, this isn't my opinion. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today and say, Olin's opinion is I should go and confront people. No, Jesus told us to do this. Amen? This isn't our opinion as a church. This isn't something we would like you to do. This is the Bible. So we're talking about the Bible. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it says what? Be angry. Be angry and do not sin. So that's possible. It's possible to be upset and not sin. It's not a sin to feel some anger or to be upset. It's what you do with it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it fester. Don't let it stew. Don't let it build up. Deal with it. And, and give no opportunity to the devil. See, this is the big lie that really trips us up. Is oh, It's not a big deal. Oh, it's just a little thing. you got to pick your battles. That's my favorite one. That's, that's the one I use when I justify not wanting to con confront somebody. I say, well, yeah, hey, you got to pick your battles. can't fight them all, right? When the truth is, I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation, and I'd just rather not have it today. And so I put it off, and I justify it by saying, you got to pick your battles. It's not a big deal. They'll get over it. I'll get over it. I'm not that upset. But you are. Sometimes I'll do something so small and my wife will get unreasonably angry at me over it. It's hard to believe, I know. And I mean, I'll like bump by her in the kitchen or move something and she's just like, hey! And I'm like, what is going on? What, how, what did I do? What is going on? I just say it was something so small. And after we talk through it, it's like I finally get to the bottom. I know it's my fault. I know I've done something. But I don't know what it is. And just tip, ladies, guys are really dumb. Like, we don't know. Y'all think we're lying? Like, women think that guys are like, hey, hey, hey I'm going to play dumb. No, we're not playing. It's, it's, not a, it's not a grand ruse, I promise you. We just ain't that bright. And relationally speaking. And so she's all mad. And I'm like, what did I do? And then we come to find out, well, you didn't tell me I looked in this new outfit I bought. I'm like, when did you? When did that happen? And she's like, I don't know. It was like the late 80s or something. I'm like, we weren't even married in the 80s. I don't know what's happening. I was like 14. What's going on? But women hold on to these things. And listen, this is what we do in our relationships. You get mad at your boss over something, and the next thing you know, three years later, you're throwing your computer on the ground and walking out. Why? Because you never confronted that little issue because Satan convinced you it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And Jesus tells us right here that we need to have confrontation. Not yell and scream. It doesn't mean attack people. But we need in a healthy way to learn how to confront, how to share our feelings. Uh, healthy relationships always involve conflict. Always. Always involve. Everybody say always. always. Not sometimes. Sometimes we, I, I just, I don't like conflict. Well, then you don't like healthy relationships. Because you don't get to have them without it. That's, the, that's not an option. It's not like A, B, C. Well, I would like relationships with no conflict 
deep and meaningful, and we connect on an intimate level. For hours, we just look into each other's eyes and talk about our feelings. We never disagree. Like, sorry, that's just not one of the options in life. You, you can hide, you can, you can have silence, you can let things build, or you can address it. You can talk about it. You can learn to do it in a healthy way. We need to stop running from conflict. And here's the key. We need to stop pretending everything's okay. Stop pretending everything's okay. Now, I want you to do something for me today. I want to do a little exercise. I want everybody to close your eyes for a minute. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think right now of one person, one person that you should confront and you haven't. Somebody that's hurt you, offended you, they've pushed your buttons. Think about it for a minute. It doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be, you know, they, they stabbed you in the back and betrayed you. It could be your neighbor puts his garbage cans out in a way that ticks you off. It can be something simple, but you, you don't confront it. Get that person. Picture it in your head. All right, now look at me. Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you confronted that person? Why haven't you had that conversation? And here's where it really gets in there for us, gets in our heart. What are you afraid of? Think for a second, what is the emotion? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of being embarrassed? Humiliate? What is it? What is that emotion? Put a name on it, and here's what I'll guarantee you. That thing that you're so afraid of, it's all about you. It's not about the other person. It's not about God. It's not about the relationship. It's about you. That's a hard pill to swallow. I don't want to own the fact that problems in my relationship have something to do with me, but that's what God wants me to do. So what causes conflict? What causes fights? What causes this stress in our life? James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Listen, when it comes to relationships, we view it as a horizontal problem. It's always vertical. Every problem in your life, relational, horizontal, husband, wife, child, coworker, friend, boss, parent, every horizontal problem you have in your life starts vertical. There's a vertical problem that if you don't solve, if you don't attach the root or attack the root, you're never going to affect the fruit. The fruit's always going to be bad unless you get to the root, and the root is always somewhere inside of us. The Bible tells us that there is a war going on, and I believe that conflict inside equals eventually conflict with others. Paul says in Romans 7, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man, am I. Why? Because we're torn. As people, even we're following Jesus, we love God. Man, I want to love people. I want to have a healthy marriage. I want to do all these things. 
we're torn because our flesh is pulling me this way and my spirit's pulling me that way and we're torn. And that conflict within us bleeds out into our relationships. And here's the thing. When we don't go to God to get our needs met, we start putting that on someone else. When I don't go to God first to get the stuff in me dealt with, I put an unreasonable, unmanageable expectation on you. And then how dare you not meet every need in me? How dare you not fulfill every desire of my heart when, hey, they can't. People can't meet every desire that we have, but God can. So we have to start with God. Listen, when I was younger, I had an alcoholic father. I had a terrible relationship with him. And I was a kid. I mean, naturally speaking, I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I was just a kid, and he's an alcoholic, and we have no relationship, and everything got really bad. But when God wanted to bring healing in our relationship, you know who he dealt with? He dealt with me. God came to me and said, hey, you want him to be a father to you? Be a son to him. I remember walking by my dad every day and looking at him in his chair for several years and thinking every single day of my life, I'd look at him and I'd go, I hate you and I wish you would die. And then I'd leave. That was my relationship with my father. But once God broke through in my heart so I could forgive him, God didn't tell me how to manipulate him. God told me how to sow honor to him. God dealt with me first. And once God got a hold of me, God could bring healing into the relationship. You see, if we want God to get involved in our relationships, we have to let it start with us. We have to let it start with us. The first step to resolving conflict is always aligning our motives with the will of God. It says in James 1 verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You're never going to get to the God result the human way. You can go and fight and manipulate and do all these things, but we're never going to get to the God result what do you want for your relationships? What do you want for your marriage? What do you want today for your children? Do you want what you want or do you want what God wants? Let me tell you something. God's plan, God's desire, God's dreams for you and your family, God's dream for your marriage is so much better than anything you could ever concoct in your brain. What God wants for us is so much better than anything we could design ourselves. But we have to get out of the way and humble ourselves and say, You know what, God? I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it your way, God. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what the Jewish people meant when they said wisdom was not big brain Albert Einstein genius. It was a humility to understand that God has a design and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to do it His way. And so if we're going to have God relationships, if we're going to have deep, meaningful relationships that mirror the love of God, we have to stop. We have to stop running from conflict, but we've got to be willing to do it God's way. We've got to be willing to do it God's way. So what does that mean? What does that mean to do it God's way? Well, number one, we have to align we have to align our motivations with Him. We just talked about that. Are you fighting for people? Or are you fighting with people? See, God wants us to be healing relationships. He wants us to be drawing people in. And here's an important question to ask. What do I get if I win? When you're thinking about a conflict or an issue with somebody else in your life, if you win the battle, what do you get? 
Do you get the pride of being right? Do you get a selfish desire met at the expense of the relationship? Or do you get a deeper relationship with God? Do you get the relationship healed and restored? Do you get closer? Do you strengthen that relationship? What do you get if you win? I want to share with you the solution today about how we have conflict. Once we stop running from conflict, once we stop running from the silence, how do we do it? Do we just walk up to people and bash them over the head? What do we do? So let's, let's turn to God. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and this is going to give us the solution of how to do it God's way. Ephesians 4 verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And here's the key. Here's the key verse. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? How do we do that in our relationships? Well, scientists and, and child development specialists, they have, they have uh, come to a conclusion about kids, and it's this. One of the healthiest things for a young child to do is roughhouse with their father. You see, when I'm at home and I'm reading or watching TV or doing whatever, sometimes my son, Matthew, will come running up to me and he'll like get in front of me like this and he'll go, hey, Dad, let's fight. <laughs> and I'm like, let's do it. And then we go running off, and I'll pick him up and body slam him on the bed, and he's dropping elbows on me, and we're just fighting back and forth. But here's the thing. They've discovered that it's so important for children in their development because when my son play fights with me, he learns healthy boundaries. He learns how to have conflict with other people without gouging in the eye and sending somebody to the hospital. He learns how far to go without going too far. And so God designed us so that my son should learn how to have conflict by wrestling with his dad. It teaches him lessons about how to develop in life and how to interact with others. And so I believe if that's true in the natural, it's also true in the spiritual. If we're going to learn how to have healthy conflict the way God does, we've got to wrestle with our dad. We've got to spend time with God and we've got to have confrontation with God in this way that God can teach us how to do it like he does it. And so I've got three things I want to share with you to end today about what we can learn from our Father. Number one is we learn that God is always thinking about us. God is always thinking about us. Listen, where does your focus go in conflict? Nine times out of ten for me, when someone attacks me, I go in defense mode and I'm thinking about myself. When I, if I was going to get in a real physical fight with another man, I, I'm not thinking about his well-being. I'm thinking about mine. My dad taught me growing up, listen, there's only one thing that's unfair in a fight, and that's for you to hurt me. That's off bounds. Anything else goes. So when somebody attacks me, I'm thinking of me, right? Because I'm trying to defend myself. But yet when I wrestle with my son, you know who I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about him. I don't want to hurt him. I'm thinking about how far we can go. I'm trying to help him have a good time, and we're wrestling around. And you know what? Isn't our Heavenly Father the same way? 
Every time our Heavenly Father comes and He confronts you about something in your life, He's wrestling with you about something. You know what? God's heart is always for us. God's heart is always to help us, not hurt us. God's heart is always to bless us. God's heart is always to bring healing to us. And when we wrestle with our dad, we learn that he always thinks of me first. Listen, this is the trait of thoughtfulness. You would be shocked at how much better your relationships would go if you would stop taking and start giving first. If you would develop the trait of thoughtfulness and enter into every conflict and every relationship as somebody who's giving, not taking, you're thinking of them before you think of you. And listen, that's hard to do. I get it. I see some of you looking at me right now thinking, yeah, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. But listen, my dad, my dad was wrong. My dad was wrong. And, and I could have just kept hating him. And we'd have never had a restored relationship. God totally healed our relationship because I wasn't focused on who was right and who was wrong. I focused on what I wanted. Use some God wisdom and focus for a minute on what you want. Do you want the relationship healed? Well, my spouse did this, but do you want a healthy marriage? Then let it go and let God. Give first. Be willing to forgive. When you have thoughtfulness of the other person, I didn't know all the stuff in my dad's life that he had been through. He had been in a war situation. His brother had died in his own arms on a job accident. He had so many hurts and wounds in his life. It was amazing he was still walking around. But I didn't know or understand any of that. And you don't know or understand what's going on in somebody else's life. That boss that comes in and treats you wrong, listen, you don't know what happened at their house last night. That kid that you have to deal with that's unruly, they might be getting abused by their parents at home. We don't know what's going on in the lives of people, but we know that God calls us to put them before us. And if we handle conflict, not excusing what they've done, we're going to confront it, but we're going to be thoughtful of them first, and we're going to give first. You'd be amazed at the difference it would make. John Maxwell, probably the greatest teacher on leadership in the world, says, always add value to everyone you meet. Give first. Add value. Be the person that's thoughtful of others and put them before yourselves. Number two, God always brings grace and truth. God always brings grace and truth. Listen, if you've ever been to the gym before, you see these big muscle guys walking around like this. You ever seen one of those guys and their arms are like tree trunks, but they have no legs? Their legs are like toothpicks, and they walk around like this because they're totally out of balance. And here's something really fun. You can run up and just push them over. But get out of there, because if they get a hold of you, you're in trouble. <laughs> but that's how we are sometimes spiritually. Sometimes we walk around like this, and I'm real strong in grace. And I used to see this all the time years ago when I was a youth pastor. I would see kids who had all kind of developmental issues and just were struggling. And then I'd see other kids who weren't, and I would look into how their parents did the parenting. And nine times out of ten, the, the kids who were having really big issues, their parents were out of balance. They were either all grace or all truth. It was either they were going to be so strict that they were going to try to control the 16-year-olds every moment of their day, or they would be real strong in grace and say, well, they're 16. If I try to discipline them, they're going to go nuts and run off. Neither one works. We have to have balance in our relationships and balance when we confront people. If you don't love somebody enough to tell them the truth, Somebody's marriage is falling apart right in front of you and you won't say anything? Somebody needs Jesus and you won't tell them? Someone needs a little nudge of correction and you won't share? You must not love them very much. 
But the opposite's true too. If you go around hitting everybody with a hammer, when God came to challenge us, when God comes to confront us about our sin, what did he do? He gave first. He didn't drop the hammer on us. He didn't bring judgment. God didn't rain down fire from heaven on you. He sent Jesus. He sent grace. He said, hey, you need to change. You need me. But here's how to do it. I've made a provision for you. When we talk to people and we have to bring confrontation, we need to have a balance of grace and truth. We have to tell people the truth, but we have to wrap it up in the love and the grace of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We have to be patient with them all. Listen, I could sit up here today and I could tell you all these techniques, master techniques of how to, you know, I, I've been a salesman for over 20 years and, and I've, I've been to all the seminars and I know how to get on the phone and within two minutes, you know, I can mirror your speech pattern and get in your head and understand what you're thinking. And, but listen, when you learn all these relationship techniques, you know what it makes you really good at doing? Manipulating. It just makes you good at manipulating other people. Then where do you end up? But if we do it God's way, if we're honest, if we're sincere, if we open our heart, if we take a little chance, man, we can get a great result. The final thing is, number three, God is a fun father. When I wrestle with my son, we have a blast. And, and women, let me help you for a second. My wife, and I see this mothers all the time, freak out when a dad fights and wrestles with his kids and they're like, oh, you're going to hurt him, you're going to kill him. I'm like, if he didn't like it, he wouldn't keep coming back every day going, let's fight. They love it. And women kind of get, they get nervous. They get scared. But you know what? We fight, we wrestle, we play. Why? Because we love and it's fun. God, when he interacts with us, God is a fun dad. God is a heavenly father that's given us everything to enjoy. Look at what the word of God says here. Psalms 30, verse 11, it says, and he's talking to God. He says, you have turned my, for me, my mourning into dancing. Man, God wants to bring the joy into your relationships. God wants to bring the joy back in your marriage. It says, you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Think that God doesn't want you to enjoy. Look, look at this first Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who what? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy your relationships. God wants to bring fun and enjoyment back to your marriage. So here's the final Final thought for today. It's a, lot, it's a heavy one. Lighten up. If you're having a struggle in your marriage, you're having a struggle with your kids, you're having a struggle at work, whatever it may be, lighten up. Nobody wants to be around a grump. And if every time you come at confrontation, you're so intense and you're so serious and you're so angry, that's intimidating. Listen, when you attack... When you attack, people defend. Stop attacking. Stop attacking. This is what you said. It hurt me. Can we talk about it? It's that simple. This is what you said. This is how it hurt me. Can we talk about it? 
and then just trust God. Can't manipulate them. We can't control them. You're not that good. I'm not either. But God can do anything. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to give you an opportunity today. Some of you, man, you don't know this loving father I'm talking about. You've, you've heard rumors. You know you've messed up. But does he really love me? seems simple to some of us because we've been in church for many years but there's so many people that struggle with that I talk to them all the time can God really truly love me after what I've done after what I've been through after all the things in my life can God really love me the answer is yes before you made a move towards God before you even thought about him he loved you enough to send his best, to send Jesus to make a way for you. He loves you that much. And it would be a shame for you to leave here today without a relationship with a dad like that. So I want to ask you real quick to bow your head and close your eyes. There's nothing super spiritual about that. It just helps you to block out the distraction. Don't think about anybody around you. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment between you and your dad, you and God, to connect with him because he loves you so much and he will confront you. He'll bring the truth, but he brings it with grace. He brings it with love. And he's already made a provision for you to walk out of here today a new person. He's already made a provision to heal your relationships. He's already made a provision to give you a new heart. He's already made a provision to provide for everything you need. I just read it to you. He richly provides us all things to enjoy. That's the dad that we have. And so if that's you today and you say, man, I want this father. I want this relationship with God that you're talking about. I want to make that decision. The Bible says it's just a step of faith. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up right now? We're going to say a prayer together. Amen. Hands up all across the room. And we're going to say this together. And listen, for those of you who have been serving Jesus, following Jesus for years and years. And you think, man, I, I know Jesus is in my heart, but man, I'm struggling in my relationships. I love God. I want to obey Him, but I'm struggling in my relationships. I want you to pray this prayer too. Because by faith, when we open up our heart, we open up our relationship, the relationships to God, He can make all the difference. He can make all the difference. So let's pray this together. Say, Father God, thank you for dying for me for loving me first. I know love because you love me first. And I believe. I believe you died, but I believe you rose. Because you're alive, you have power to change me today. Make me new. Forgive my sin. Give me a new heart, God. God, I invite you right now into my relationships. No more control, no more hiding, no more manipulation. God, I renounce fear. Give me courage to confront in a godly way. God, I thank you. You're going to heal my relationships. God, I receive it by faith right now in Jesus' name.